Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. by C.S. Lewis, and it's a book about spiritual warfare. How many of us like spiritual warfare? Raise your hand. <laughs> Two people. No, seriously. This stuff is real. This stuff is real. This man was an atheist who set out to disprove God. And don't try to disprove God. When your kids go, I'm going to disprove God, say, go for it, because they're going to be disproved. Um, but he's one of the most brilliant thinkers in the Christian world. And he was a scholar. He was a professor. Um, and it's really, he does such a beautiful job in a narrative form talking about spiritual warfare. And I want to challenge the church, not just the person who gets the free book, Chris Carbone. But I want you to text yourself this. Screw tape letters. Text yourself. Everyone take out your phones. If you're staring at me, you're not texting it. Screw tape letters, and I want you to write down the title, because this book will open your eyes, there you go, will open your eyes to really see how strategic, how strategic spiritual warfare is. And if you are unable to see spiritual warfare right now, what's going on in our world, I want you to read this book. It's one of those books that I have read multiple times. Usually my summer reading is going through my favorite books. So usually every summer what I'll do, this summer I'm kind of changing my course. Usually every summer my top five to seven books I will reread again because they are the books that have helped me stay on the straight and narrow. And when I mean straight and narrow, I mean keep me focused on the things that I value most. And that is Jesus. Jesus be the center of my life. Jesus be the center of my family. Jesus be the center of the church. And Jesus be the center of it all. That's what I love about what C.S. Lewis does in the book, The Screwtape Letters. So, it is summertime. And summertime, church is funny. Do I get an amen for that? Right? Okay. Aston, you usually give me a really good amen. I need a good amen for that, right? Amen. There you go. Thank you. He's my amen brother. And so we as a church are always so strategic all year when we talk about our sermon series. And it's no different in the summer. We try to bring something that's going to just kind of keep you going, keep you hooked, that whether you're here in church, but you will be drawn to watch it online as well. This is the beauty of online church, is that if you are not here, there is no excuse to say, well, I missed it because I didn't show up. Trust me, I film every Wednesday. There is an online community that meets every Sunday morning. And believe it or not, there's about 200 people that join us throughout the week online. I didn't realize that. And so it's very interesting to see that people are connecting even when they are on vacation or if they're sick, or if they got the COVID, or whatever it is, they are still engaging with us. And I'm really excited for this summer sermon series. Very excited. 
But before I give it away, let me give you my little intro. You hear the word love, and we would say that we love multiple things, correct? We love multiple things. I love my honey bun. I love my Susie Q. I love her more than any human being on the face of the earth. Well, what about your children? Well, I don't have my kids without my honey bun. Do you realize that? Without her, there's no them. And so I have this deep love for her, a love that's committed, a love that will, will do anything for her, a love that I want to really learn to deny myself for her well-being and her best. Like I can honestly say that, that I want my wife, don't cry, Rob. I want to see my wife thrive in life more than me. That's a pretty deep love. I have two dogs, Babe and Jake, and I love my dogs. My dogs are my companions. My one dog, Jake, is so connected to me that I say, hey, I'm going to go pray. He gets ready, his ears pop up, and he knows where I'm going. I mean, this dog is attached to me, and Babe, she just kind of follows along. She's just kind of cool and easygoing like my son, Ben Parker. He, she just goes with the flow. But please, my love for my wife better be a whole lot different than my, my love for my dogs. Do I get an amen? Right? Now, I got another love. I love the Mawa Bar and Grill Buffalo Wings. I mean, talk about this. That's the only one you guys cheer for. Seriously? That's really weak. But I love wings. I love on a really bad day or an amazing day or a Thursday night when I'm like, hey, it's wingy time, and the kids are like, oh, yeah, and you get buffalo and teriyaki and sweet and sour and all these different things, and they're big, and they're breaded, and their blue cheese is like no other. But come on, my affinity for wings better not compare to my affinity for my dogs, nor come even close to my love for my honey bun. But... We throw words like love around that it cheapens it, but yet deep down we'll say, no, 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 I love these things. But love is defined in so many different ways. Does anyone know where I'm going? So, this summer, we are doing a sermon series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, the moment you receive the Holy Spirit in your life because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit produces, begins to grow in your life certain characteristics that he is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. And so, this is what we're going to do. We are going to study Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, by each week taking a different attribute of the Holy Spirit, that if you have the Holy Spirit, and if you have the Holy Spirit, say amen. amen. And if you don't have them, I'll give them to you today, free of charge. And it's this thing that when we have the Holy Spirit, it says, he will produce 
it in our lives. And the first one we are going to talk about, and I find it very, very interesting. I find it very, very strategic how the first attribute that the Holy Spirit desires, wants to, initiates in our lives is love. Let's pray. Jesus, I am asking you for a deep, deep summer. God, I pray not only for a deep summer in your word, but a refreshing summer in your word. And Holy Spirit, as we go through a time of learning, I ask you that Holy Spirit, that you would activate, activate your transforming work in our lives. And I know that you will do this as we learn to keep Jesus at the center of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. When you look at the word love, it's very much in the Greek like it is in the English. The word love is used in multiple ways, multiple ways. And there's actually three that really stand out. There's really four that you see in the, in the New Testament, but there's three that are repeated time and time again. I want to bring up the first two because I think it's important. But the third one is really what Paul focuses on in Galatians chapter, chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. The first word that is we see in the New Testament that I want to bring up is eros. Eros. It's the first word that I want to talk about for love, and I'm going to say it very briefly. And it's the word for erotic. <gasps> he said erotic in church? Yes. Having to do with the sexual aspects of love that we find in Scripture. You see, when you read Song of Songs, has anyone ever read Song of Songs? Do I get an amen for that? Does anyone like that book? Seriously? I love that book. The book's amazing. It talks about the beauty of a husband and a wife. That when you look at the word eros, it talks about the beauty, the majesty, the awe of a sexual relationship that a couple, a, a husband and wife are supposed to have in marriage. And so when you hear that word erotic, the world has made it dirty and nasty. But God is saying in the form of, of a marriage between a man and a woman that it's one of the most beautiful aspects of their love for one another. You see, God gave us sex for two things, pleasure and procreation. Should I say it again and do I get an amen? Pleasure and procreation. Thank you, Rich Gatto. You all, I don't know who you are. Where am I? It's a twilight zone. But there's this, this picture. Eros, for all its goodness, it's not the word for love in Galatians. Because Eros is about possessing another. I want her, right? I want her. It's, it's about creating a feeling and fulfilling an aspect of the relationship that longs to be met in each of us. That's one word for love. There's another word for love, phileo, phileo. Everybody say phileo with me, phileo. Aren't you glad that I make you say eros? Phileo, say phileo again. 
And when you think about the word phileo, you think about a city in the United States called Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. Here we go. Now we're going to talk together. The city of brotherly love. It's about a love between friends. It's a friendship love. It's a companionship that we see in Scripture. Look what it says in, in Proverbs 18.24. There are friends who destroy each other. We know some of those people. But a real friend sticks closer than a brother. We see this with Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David did not have arrows. They had phileo. I love, and this is totally off track, that when I look to the back of the, of the audience and I turn to my left, one of my best phileo loves comes to the plant. One of my best friends from high school is part of the plant. It's a bond, it's a friendship that we have had together. It's a brotherhood that we have seen each other go through life beginning at the age of 16. And no matter any disagreements that we've had, we've always said, hey, our love, our phileo for one another rises above everything else. It's not about ego, but has a connotation of mutuality. I love in this room that, that one of my son's best friends, this phileo, is also in this room. It's a beautiful picture. Both eros and phileo are forms of love, but, but the truth is they're limited. They are limited. Eros is both physical and sensual, as well as can be fickle. And phileo, got a little chuckle there, is great until trust is broken. And when ego can get in the way. But again, those are two forms of love. It's not the love that we see in Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23. The word for love that Paul is bringing up, and we see it all throughout the Gospels, and all throughout the, 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 the epistles' teachings, is agape. Say that with me. Agape. Say it again. Agape. It's a divine love. It's a heavenly love. It's a love that actually defines who God is. Look what it says in 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Dear friends, let us not, let us continue to love one another. Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is agape. So when someone says, tell me about God, he's love. He's not phileo. He's not eros. He's agape. He, he's a divine love. A love like, like nothing else. Nothing that, that human beings can create or, or conjure up in them. So what is agape? Agape is the fruit of a decision that commits itself to the well-being of others. Agape is so profound that we can have it for those we adore, and we can also come to a point that we have agape for those we abhor. You hear what I'm saying? Those are who are easy to love, 
And those who we can even say, you know what, I really can't stand them, but the love of God can change our hearts, turn our hearts to the place that we can love them right where they are at. When we talk about agape, we're talking about love that chooses denial of self. A love that chooses relationship over being right. Agape is a challenge to end all challenges. Agape puts others above self because they truly want that person to know how valuable they are amid their value being challenged. Agape says, I'm going to love you right where you're at, even if we are fully in a place of disagreement. That's agape. Agape chooses to not have to be right to make a point to win. Do I get an amen? Amen. Right? Because the problem is, oftentimes we are right because we want to make a point and we want to win. Agape chooses truth and grace for the protection and welfare over their need to be accepted. And so, agape is a divine love. Great definition, Rob. You just gave us a whole mouthful. So, let's talk about agape in action. I love when Paul gives the definition of what true love is. He gives it in the book of 1 Corinthians. And if you've ever studied the book of 1 Corinthians, the church of Corinth was messed up. I mean, they had some weird, crazy, manipulative, freaky spooky stuff going on in that church. I mean, there's a lot going on in 1 Corinthians because the church of Corinth stopped making Jesus the center of it all. And so Paul goes into this lengthy teaching to this church, a letter specifically written to this church to put Jesus back in the center of it all. And this is how he defined love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice. It's not irritable. But rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's a pretty big definition of love. But how many of us long for that in our lives? How many of us have longed for that from our parents? How many of us long to to reveal that to our spouse or our children or to someone else? Or maybe you've come from such a broken place of your home life that you're saying, that's all I craved for. And everything else that I ran to was just something that I could lock on to one of them. So let's talk about agape in action. Let's talk about three. Three that I know for me is that when I've experienced these things from God and from others, It allowed me to see God with a cleaner clarity. 
I love how it begins. Love is patient. Patient. The Greek word for patient is makrothumia. Makrothumia. That's a really long word for the word patience. Able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Right? Able to tolerate. Able to, to push aside all of our emotions and all of our feelings. Without becoming annoyed or anxious. How many of you struggle with patience? How many of you consistently live in a place of anxiety? Because the opposite, the enemy of patience, is anxiety. Now listen to this Greek definition. This one's even deeper. Able to avenge oneself, yet refrains from doing so. Able to avenge oneself, but choosing not to. And so patience has to do with how we are in relationships with one another. Those who are closest to us, those who are near to us, and those who experience on the peripheral. But let's be honest, who are we least patient with most of the time? Those who we are closest to. And so, how are we patient with one another? How are we a patient with one another? How do we actually show macrothumia to the people we love the most, those who are close to us, and then those on the peripheral? It's the ability to remain calm when dealing with difficult or annoying situations, tasks, or persons. Amen. That was a little too loud. Think about that. I'm just playing with you. I love it. It's true though, right? Difficult tasks, situations, and the hardest is people. We choose to not lash out in anger even when we feel it is warranted. We choose to not lash out when we actually believe in ourselves we have every right. So how is God patient with humanity? I think this one verse says it best, Isaiah 30, 18. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. We see God's patience every single day. And our folly. And our selfishness. And our greed. In our need to be in control, God's patience is always enduring because it's his hope that we would recognize his goodness and his grace that would draw us back to him that we can say, wow, your love is so wide, so high, so deep, so prevalent that you are even patient with me. For all you who struggle with patience, with people that you love, the problem isn't them, the problem is you. Amen. The problem is you. The problem is your lack of being able to experience patience for yourself, that you're willing to give patience to others. 
How do I know this? Because you're speaking with one of the most impatient human beings on the face of this earth, and the Holy Spirit has done a tremendous work in my life. And still it's not even close to what it should be. Agape in action is when you allow patience to reveal God's love in you to others. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Unforgiveness is a very powerful weapon. It's very invigorating and empowering when you can hold someone's wrongs against them, right? Ah, right? They walk in the room, they're like, they know it. They know what they did. They're the one that's supposed to come up to me. And we can honestly say that we allow keeping records of wrongs to put us in a place of being in control. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. The gospel is all about forgiveness. It's all about reconciliation. It's all about how God forgives us, how God reconciles us, how God loves us, how God brings us in, how God forgives us all of our wrongdoings. Look what it says. Micah 7, 19 through 20. And everybody always says this. The God of the Old Testament is an angry God, an unforgiving God, a God who has his favorites and his least. Look what it says in Micah. It says, once again, you will have compassion on us, Who's us? All of humanity. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. Do you know if you go like 20 miles out from the Jersey Shore, it's over 600 feet deep. And that's only like 20 to 30 miles out. How deep is the deepest part of the ocean? And the prophet is saying, I send, God sends your sins to the even deeper parts of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. The goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. The goal of not keeping records of wrongs is to constantly be in a relationship where you are gospeling each other's lives. You are being Jesus to one another. As you forgive others, your prayers, they would forgive you. Look at the cross. As God forgives us, we forgive others. Jesus says, unless you're able to forgive others, there's no place in the kingdom for you. He didn't say that. Go read the Sermon on the Mount. Go read the Sermon on the Mount. Unless you're able to forgive others, God can't forgive you. Well, that, that, that wasn't like literal. Like that was kind of like a good example to prayer. There, there's something about understanding the love of God. Reconcil- the goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. To relinquish another's offense done to them. Reconciliation allows for relationships to move forward, away from the wrongs committed. Reconciliation breaks the barrier of keeping track of the number of wrongs we hold against another. When we grace people with forgiveness, it reveals the love of God to that other person. When we forgive other people, we build building blocks of trust that those wrongdoings become less and less and less. 
I think right now that the church at times, and I'm saying the plant, I'm saying Christians in general, are the most unforgiving people on the face of the earth. Shame on the church. We should be the most forgiving and loving people on the face of the earth. We may differ with other people. We may have different belief systems. But we should be the most forgiving and loving and patient people on the face of this earth. We are not to be keepers of wrongs. Do you know there's a word given to Satan? A name that Jesus gives? The accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. The one who does keep records of wrongs. The one who does hold your sins against you. So when you're that individual that, that keeps records of wrongs and really stinks with unforgiveness, you're in very dangerous company. Do you hear what I'm saying? You are in really dangerous company that when you're saying, I'm an accuser of the brethren. Because there's only one who's given that title. Agape keeps no records of wrong. That is scary. I never fully understood the gospel until I was able to forgive the person who hurt me the greatest. I was never able to fully understand the gospel until I was able to forgive the person who hurt me the greatest. The one who almost took me out of ministry. The one who almost ruined my emotional bank to be able to love my wife properly and love my children properly. And I had to one night get on my hands and knees and beg God to forgive the one who offended me the greatest. And I called out to God. And he had to speak through me in a whole different language because I didn't know what to say. But when I was able to relinquish the wrongs that that person committed to me time and time and time again. It wasn't until I was able to let go of their wrongs that I fully understood the full love of God. Love is patient. Love keeps no records of wrongs. And I love how Paul sums it up. He says, love never gives up. We see a God in Scripture who never gives up on humanity. From Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned for the first time to Moses who, who didn't want to lead the people of Israel. He said, nope, give it to someone else. Give it to Aaron. We see it all throughout Scripture. We see it with Mary Magdalene. When Jesus rode on the ground all the sins of those who had committed sin as well, with her, he rode on the ground. Or what about the thief on the cross? We oftentimes say when he just says, today you're with me in paradise. If you read all the Gospels together, you read that both criminals mocked Jesus. Did you know that? Both of them mocked Jesus. But at some point, as they were hanging there, that one who was mocking Jesus realized that he was hung next to the Son of God who takes away the sins of the earth. And he says, Jesus, today, remember me. And Jesus says, today, I'm not only going to remember you, but you will be with me in paradise. 
No matter how many times humanity disappointed God, God was always willing to forgive and reconcile the relationship. Agape is manifested when we don't quit on those who disappoint us. Agape is manifested when we choose to help others even when they don't want to be helped. Agape is manifested when we have open arms to those who push us away. It's the parable of the prodigal. The one child runs away, and the father sits and waits. And then the other one, who's just a total brat, won't go into the party. He says, come on in. Come on in. Come on in. I love 2 Timothy 2.13. As a young Christian man, when I read this, it just, again, changed the direction of my life. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Take a picture of that. When we are unfaithful, he is faithful because he cannot deny who he is. He is the faithful God. Yes, forgiveness is a tough one. It's something that if we ever need to process through, let's process through. Yes, there needs to be healthy boundaries with those who we do forgive. There has to be healthy boundaries. Because some people are so unhealthy to re-engage is a very dangerous place. What forgiveness is, is relinquishing the offense and the control they've had over you. Would you like me to say that again? Forgiveness is relinquishing the offense and the control that that person has had over you. Amen. That's what forgiveness is. And so we see this love, agape, that's the divine. A love that we can only have for others if we have the spirit of God in us. People have reflections of this love, amen, right? Because we all have the imago Dei, right? We are all image bearers of God. And I know a whole lot of people who don't claim to be Christians that I believe love better than most Christians. Do I get an amen for that? Amen. It's true. We should be the greatest love bearers. We should just be big bears of love. God is agape. 1 Corinthians 13, he finishes with this. There are three things that will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Faith and hope drive us to be in relationship with God. But it's love that's the foundation of who we are as children of God and the promise that we hold on to for eternity. So let me wrap it up with this. How do we begin to allow agape to be produced in our life? It's understanding first and foremost, true love is divine. True love is divine. Agape is love that only comes from God and can be given by God. So when you reveal divine agape to someone else, it's God's love in you being given to someone else. Agape changes the perspective of how a person sees themselves and how they also begin to see others. Some of you need to just start learning to love yourself. You need to start allowing the love of God 
to be poured into you by saying, you know what, I accept myself right in this moment so that the love of God can be poured into me and he can start doing his transforming work in my life. That's actually biblical. Agape for others is fueled in our understanding of God's divine love for us. It's our desire that others would receive that same love through us. And lastly, agape continues to grow in a person who is surrendered, surrendered. I give up to the power and temperament of the Holy Spirit. I think the biggest problem with Christians, they don't want to surrender. But you will never, ever experience agape the way that God wants to give it to you so you can give it to others until and unless you surrender your lives to Jesus Christ. I want us to sing that song again in closing. We're going to go back. Jesus be the center of it all. Jesus be the center of it all. If you need agape, take a moment. Kneel where you're at. Sit in your seat. And just say, I need you to be the center so I can experience the agape that you have for me so I can start learning to give it to others. Because you can't give what you don't have. Amen? Anyone need this this morning? A couple people, cool. Let's pray. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.